Hello, friends and family. Thank you so much for joining me again. We're continuing to read through Ernest from Earth. And the first recording session that I was doing for these videos and for the audio, I was going to work through just the first three chapters, but chapter four is where we have the inciting incident and things really start jumping off. So kind of couldn't help myself. We'll continue with chapter four. Ernest and his family raced from the bright morning light of their neighborhood and into the star-filled black of space. The family merged onto Interstellar Highway 135, a bustling corridor of wormholes or off-ramps through which families could jump across galaxies. Ernest and Tamara played games on a holographic projection and watched the other spacecraft zoom by while their father and mother chatted gleefully about the sights they would explore. All right, Mr. Emeka notified the family. Here comes the off-ramp. Our course looks clear and ready for the jump. The star cruiser pulled onto the ramp and began the acceleration necessary to leap through the wormhole. The star cruiser raced ever more rapidly, and the children giggled with anticipation. Then, right as the family was about to make the instantaneous jump across millions of miles of space, a startling alarm blared, and the cabin of the star cruiser flashed red. Warning, object detected, announced the star cruiser's computer systems. A clear dome immediately encircled each member of Ernest's family. In the event of a collision, the star cruiser was designed to form an individual emergency pod around each passenger and separate as necessary. There was a moment of calm silence as Ernest's eyes traveled from the terrified face of his sister to the frightened eyes of his mother. Ernest stared at his mother for what seemed like minutes as she reached a hand toward him only to meet the transparent barrier that now separated them. Then... There was only light and noise, an explosion that overpowered all of Ernest's senses. Ernest's ears rang. His sight was blurred, and he could not get oriented as his emergency pod spun and flipped and tumbled through space. Ernest's limbs thrashed forward violently as his body lurched into his safety harness. The tiny craft hit atmosphere and corrected its course. Ernest shook his eyes clear. He saw land and water, a planet. Is that Earth? Ernest wondered to himself. But he had only a moment of contemplation before his transport was engulfed in flames. The inferno raced toward the surface of the planet, and Ernest grabbed the control panel to steady himself. Brace for impact, instructed the disproportionately calm, flat intonation of the pod's computer systems. Ernest tried to see through the waves of fire that continued to wash over the craft. He saw flashes of green and brown and heard the sharp splintering of tree branches as the tiny vehicle ripped through dense forest. The pod made contact with the ground at a shallow angle, carving into the earth, uprooting trees and spraying dirt into the air. Ernest jostled and jolted until the small craft came to a rest, half buried in a heavily wooded landscape. Ernest turned slowly, scanning the trees that surrounded him and questioning the reality of all that had just occurred. Ernest had been breathing rapidly. 
He stared at the center of his controls for a few moments, catching his breath before looking up to face the world before him. Otis? Ernest asked the onboard technical instruments system. Where are we? According to my scientific records, we are on Targ, a mid-developed planet in the Yarmelo system, Otis replied. More specifically, my calculations indicate we are near the town of Greelin, in the state of Pohar, in the country Varen, on the planet Targ. Varen is a geographically large, economically powerful nation on Targ, and Pohar sits in a temperate region of the country. It is September by Earth's calendar, early autumn in this sector of Targ. Ernest nodded, trying to recall the emergency travel protocols he had learned in school and drilled with his family in preparation for their many intergalactic travels. Do we have signals for the rest of the family? I'm afraid not. Ernest exhaled sharply before continuing. Uh, Bring up other known planetary data, please. A vast holographic database appeared before Ernest. He scanned the material, swiping his hand over page after digital page. Ernest knew that a mid-developed planet as classified by the unified governments, United Governments of Earth, had only rudimentary space travel capabilities. And it appeared that the citizens of Targ had just begun to explore their own atmosphere. That meant Ernest would not be able to find the technology necessary to transport himself to the nearest off-ramp. And Ernest knew that even under the best circumstances, the emergency pod did not possess the power or long-range fuel cells necessary to break through the planet's atmosphere, travel to the nearest off-ramp, and make a jump through space-time. Pods were designed to protect the individual passenger. They were not designed for interstellar travel. Ernest had never even heard of an emergency pod jumping through space-time alone. While the ability to bend space-time had, in many ways, redefined the concept of distance, in a traditional sense, Ernest was many light-years from both Earth and his intended destination of Tremulac 5, without an apparent means to reach either. Otis, how did we get here? It appears that a previously undetected meteoroid entered the path of the star cruiser just as we are about to make the jump to Tremulac 5. It is likely that the impact altered the trajectory of the emergency pods as they deployed, jumping us to this system. So if all the emergency pods deployed, there's a good chance the rest of my family is still alive? Ernest asked optimistically. That is certainly a possibility. Ernest sat quietly, thinking for several seconds before continuing. But, if they're separate emergency pods, went in different directions, too, they could be scattered across the galaxy? Across any number of galaxies, actually. 
Thanks for the reassurance. You're welcome. Ernest let out a dry half-chuckle and shook his head at the inability of Otis to recognize his sarcasm. Then, as the reality of his situation set in, Ernest was covered in a blanket of anxious sadness. He did not know if his family was alive. And if they were alive, they could be anywhere in the entire universe. Ernest was alone. He closed his eyes and laid his head back against the seat, breathing deeply to calm himself. A fury of thoughts swirled about his head before Ernest broke the tempest with one last sharp and determined exhalation. He opened his eyes and asked, Otis, are homing systems operational? They are. Please initiate the homing beacon and sweep for any signal from my family. Indeed, homing sequences initiated. Ernest unfastened the buckles of his safety harness and scanned the interior of his craft as he worked to formulate the next step in his plan of action. Otis, please run an analysis of the atmosphere. Targ possesses an atmosphere composition similar to Earth's. The exterior temperature is 27 degrees Celsius. The environment is safe for unaided exploration. This was actually not surprising. As the human race had spread its net across the cosmos and peacefully studied the bounty of life existing on other planets, moons, and celestial bodies, they discovered many commonalities existed between life-supporting worlds. All discovered life-bearing planets shared an atmosphere very comparable to Earth's. Ernest scrolled through the holographic database and aimlessly looked about the shuttle's cabin, hoping some sort of plan would present itself. But after a few minutes, Ernest's futile search was interrupted by Otis. There is a life form approaching. Ernest cranked his head back and forth, darting his eyes from treetop to forest floor as he frantically surveyed the landscape. Ernest could hear his own heart rapidly beating as he held his breath in silent anticipation. Crack! Ernest whirled around toward the sound of a snapping twig and found the creature bearing down on him with a rudimentary weapon in its hand. Ernest closed his eyes tightly and bit his lower lip, waiting for the worst. That is the end of chapter four, and then it's sort of a little preview. If you're looking at the video, there is an illustration there. Pretty simple illustration. I did a few illustrations for this book. It's not the really the primary focus to have illustrations, but it was something that was presented to me as an option of something of maybe including. And I was allowed to do the illustrations myself. Again, a thank you to Dreaming Big Publications. And uh, I didn't want to do too detailed of illustrations. I wanted to be simple little pictures kind of just solid black and white so that anyone reading the story could still create their own vision for what the characters looked like and things like that. I wanted to just sort of be just sort of be vague and 
actually I will do this quite a bit. I'll have my children model for different things. So there's kind of just the black and white image of a, of a kid holding a slingshot. And I had my son Mickey pose for that. So it's sort of this just solid black and white of Mickey, what it would maybe look like him pulling back something of a slingshot. And that is the image that ends chapter four and leads us into chapter five. So that maybe gives a little indication of the creature, the rudimentary weapon, that sort of thing. But that's where our story really kicks off. Ernest gets separated from his family and winds up on Targ, this other planet. And I will continue with the curriculum guide and discussion on this chapter in the next video and audio segments. Thank you so much for joining me. Uh, I'm having a lot of fun with this. This has been great. Until next time, much love.